Welcome to Asthma Open Podcast. Today, we welcome Professor Elisabetta Zenkus from the Department of Oncology and Radiotherapy of the Medical University of Dance in Poland. She's a well-known uh, specialist in breast cancer and will give us today an overview on the new therapies on the horizon in breast cancer and the Congress highlights from ESMO, ASCO, and the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. Welcome, Professor Zenkus. Thank you for taking the time to record this podcast today with us. So, Professor Zenkus, could you give us an insight on the new treatment standards reported in the event setting? And from the past year's conferences, are there any new therapies on the horizon in the event setting of breast cancer therapy? I would say that 2016 was more a year of advanced breast cancer than early breast cancer. And there are no really new treatments. We, we learned a lot about some fine-tuning of treatments, about new options. Uh, I think the largest achievement is the, the first presentation of the MindAct results. Uh, MindAct is a study which assessed the role of genomic assessment of, of the tumor biology uh, versus the uh, clinical risk assessment. And it demonstrated that in patients with high clinical risk, as far as as long as they have low genomic risk, they can be safely spared chemotherapy, which is estimated to be able to spare chemotherapy to approximately 14% of patients, which means one patient in every seven ones which would be selected for chemotherapy. And the other important data come from a combined data on the role of anthracyclines in adjuvant chemotherapy. These are the data which were presented at the ASCO uh, meeting, and um, it's a combined data from three studies uh, which compared a taxane-based regimen, anthracycline-free taxane-based regimen, against a taxane anthracycline regimen in an aim of avoiding anthracyclines, which are well known for their toxicities. And the data, unfortunately, demonstrated that in general, especially in high-risk patients, anthracyclines do provide additional benefit. And the only population which can be safely spared anthracyclines are the Uh, luminal uh, breast cancer patients with uh, negative lymph nodes or possibly with one to three involved lymph nodes. The triple negative patients have large benefit and also uh, luminal patients with uh, more than three involved lymph nodes have large benefit from addition of anthracyclines. So unfortunately, we cannot uh, spare them. The other interesting data... Uh, are related to uh, HER2-positive patients. Uh, one which I think is very important, although theoretically it's a negative study, it's a Christine study which assessed, uh, which compared neoadjuvant TDM1 uh, combined with pertuzumab versus um, classical docetaxel carboplatin chemotherapy combined with pertuzumab and trastuzumab. The pathological complete response rate was lower in the uh, chemo-free arm, but still the PCR rate was 44%, and the toxicity of this treatment was much lower, and the quality of life of patients was much higher. 
so this study demonstrated a complete pathological response rate of 44% in chemo-free arm. It's lower than in the classical chemo arm, but it's almost half of patients having complete pathological remission. And uh, this is probably the avenue which uh, we can um, develop further. And what we need, we need good predictive factors, which will be uh, able to tell us which patients can be spared chemotherapy and still achieve very good uh, treatment outcomes. Uh, another interesting study in the uh, HER2 positive populations are more in, in advanced breast cancer. More in early breast cancer are data which really demonstrate what, would, what we expected. There is a number of studies on the duration of adjuvant endocrine therapy, um, and all of them demonstrated small numerical improvement with longer treatment, uh, but uh, these this results were mostly non-significant and much of the improvement of, over standard duration of treatment really comes from reduction in the risk of contralateral breast cancer rather than from um, decreasing the, the risk of, of a recurrence of the cancer which was uh, treated. And Talking about the future, there's a number of very important studies ongoing. There are two important studies in the HER2-positive population. This is the affinity study, which assesses the role of addition of pertuzumab, and the Caitlin study, which tests the uh, role of TDM1 in adjuvant treatment. Both of them will hopefully be presented quite soon, and this can trained treatment landscape in this population. The most important study in luminal population would be probably the studies assessing the addition of CDK46 inhibitors, which really changed the landscape in advanced breast cancer over the last year. And we are looking forward into the results of the adjuvant studies, but this will probably take another few years before, before we get them. Thank you so much for that overview. So you already pointed out that there was more data reported in the metastatic setting. Are there any new treatment standards in the metastatic setting in breast cancer therapy? Probably the most interesting compound which um, really occupied most of the, the space last year were the CDK46 inhibitors. Uh, we, for the first time, we've seen the results of two large phase three studies, Paloma 2, and Mona Lisa too. Basically, these are sister studies comparing standard treatment with standard treatment with addition of two uh, molecules from the same group. Paloma uh, studied palbocyclic, Mona Lisa studied ribocyclic, uh, and the results are really very much alike. Uh, so now we have two new compounds. One of them is already approved. The other will be probably approved uh, soon, and they both have really impressive uh, results with prolongation of median progression-free survival in the range of 10 months in the first-line setting. And the other big advantage of these compounds is that they are really of very favorable toxicity profile. The main toxicity is neutropenia, but these are asymptomatic neutropenias, 
and subjectively patients have few, if any, symptoms from these drugs. So it's, it's a nice and easy treatment to give at the same time, and it's very effective. There is also some data uh, regarding the use of this uh, group of drugs in, um, as a single uh, agent. This was tested in a Monarch 1 study, which was presented at ASCO. And uh, this is a drug with a little bit higher toxicity, but uh, it presented impressive activity of the clinical benefit ratio of over 40% in heavily pretreated patients. So again, we have a new treatment option. The other uh, compounds which are being tested in the luminal population are um, the choice of optimal uh, endocrine agent. And here we have new data, some new data from the Falcon study, which compared first-line treatment with uh, aromatase inhibitor, letrozole, and uh, fulvestrant. This study is positive, although benefit is, is lower than it was observed in the phase two study. So it was a little bit of disappointment. Still, fulvestrant uh, is a well-tolerated drug and most probably it will move to earlier line, lines of treatment or will become standard in, in first-line treatment. A subgroup of drugs which have been uh, rising a lot of interest over the last years are drugs interacting with the mTOR PI3K AKT pathway, as this is upregulated in many of, of luminal breast cancers. Uh, we are all aware of the data on uh, everolimus studies. Um, over the last year, we've seen some data about the PI3K inhibitors. Uh, a, the BELL-3 study demonstrated an improvement in progression-free survival with uh, a decrease of risk of progression by approximately one-third with the addition of uh, a, a PI3K inhibitor bupalisib. Unfortunately, this compound is quite toxic and we are really looking forward into the development of more selective uh, subtype alpha uh, PI3K inhibitors, uh, which hopefully will be will have similar activity but lower toxicity. There are also new studies uh, with Everolimus, which in general compare uh, confirm what we have known about this drug from earlier studies, that it does improve. Uh, progression-free survival, uh, both in combination with uh, fulvestrant and uh, in first-line treatment in combination with letrozole. And everolimus is also a drug with significant toxicities, but over the last years we've learned a lot about managing these toxicities, and it's actually much easier to give it now than it was some years ago. The other important population, of course, is the HER2-positive population. And here uh, we have also a number of interesting studies. Uh, one of them is the, the Ferexa study, which um, tested the role of pertuzumab in second-line treatment in patients uh, progressing on trastuzumab. In this study, patients were randomized to treatment with capecitabine plus trastuzumab or capecitabine plus trastuzumab plus pertuzumab. The trial demonstrated no difference in progression-free survival. And however, there was a numerical, quite impressive improvement in, in prolongation of median overall survival. Unfortunately, 
because of the statistical design, this difference could not be considered statistically significant. Still, it compares the results of other pertuzumab studies, where overall survival benefit seems to be larger than the progression-free survival benefit, which is not completely understood, but possibly related to some immune mechanisms and definitely warrants further research. We also have a study assessing pertuzumab in combination with endocrine therapy and confirming that combined her to blockade with trastuzumab and pertuzumab in combination with uh, endocrine therapy is an active treatment. We have not used very much of combination of endocrine treatment and trastuzumab alone as it was not very active. It seems that adding pertuzumab really changes it and it may be an option, a very nice low toxicity option for some, at least for some patients. There is much less going on in triple negative breast cancer, unfortunately. There are some data on immune checkpoint inhib inhibitors, but unfortunately the response rate is lower than that observed uh, in uh, other tumors. And there is a single interesting compound in BRCA mutation carriers. It's called rubinectidin, and it's a analog of trabectidin. And it seems to be preferentially active in BRCA2 uh, mutation carriers, but it's, it's just an early study and it needs conf confirmation in further studies. So in terms of precision medicine, are there any new targets on the horizon? Probably the most uh, promising target is the PIK3CA mutation, which seems to be a predictive factor for effect of treatment with the PI3K inhibitors. And this has been demonstrated in the BEL3, but also in, in earlier studies presented uh, in previous years. Um, so this is possibly a new predictor, which, uh, of course, needs further validation, but seems to be quite realistic. There has been quite a lot of discussion on the difference between lobular and ductal cancers. This seems to be not very sophisticated in terms of multigene data, but these cancers look different and they behave different. And we start to understand it better and better and will be probably able to uh, tailor treatment also according to the classical histological subtype. Uh, of course, there's a lot of research going on on multigene testing, but there are no new signatures, no new uh, data which really uh, changes the landscape. So I guess we need to nail, wait for, for data coming hopefully over the next years. Thank you for that overview. So you already pointed out that the role of immune therapy in breast cancer is not as successful as in other primary tumors. But in your opinion, do you think that the role of immune therapy might increase over the next few years? Unfortunately, breast cancer uh, is not very immunogenic. As the mutational load is relatively low, the population which seems to be the most most attractive uh, target for uh, immune therapy are the triple negative cancers. 
Uh, unfortunately, triple negative cancers, uh, it's a mixture of diseases, so we cannot expect that the same treatment will be active in all of them. Still, some seem to be of higher immunogenicity, and there is a lot of, of uh, research on uh, attempts to increase the immunogenicity of, of these cancers. This includes the use of any um, cytotoxic treatment which causes um, antigen present, increase in antigen presentation, such as radiation therapy. Uh, also, they use interesting and promising preclinical data, but for the time being, there are no, no available clinical data, and this will hopefully uh, change over the last years as there is a number of trials uh, going on, also testing other methods of increasing immunogenicity, such as um, actually using the checkpoint inhibitors, such as CTLA-4 inhibitors. For the time being, unfortunately, we have only a few small studies with not very promising response rate, although the responses which are seeing, seen are usually long-lasting. Thank you, Professor Zankus, for giving us this comprehensive overview on the new treatments in breast cancer therapy. And to all our listeners, stay connected with the ESMA Open homepage for more podcasts and also for more reviews on immune therapy and breast cancer treatment. Bye.